0: Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La arena They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home, your new home. And remember, when you're in death holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Dr. Death and joining me as always is the original woman in white, La Urena. How goes your never-ending search for your children, Urena?
0: Hola. Um yeah, they they found me. Um <laughs> the little known fact is that I've never actually been looking for them. I've actually been crying to get away from them. Um, oh,
1: that, that's your secret that nobody was aware of. Yes, okay, gotcha.
0: and when I tried to get rid of them, they came back to haunt me. And that is the true curse of La Llorona, is the weeping <laughs> woman crying to get away from these little hollyans. They're evil. They're little shits, and um, they have really high expectations. So <laughs> that's how goes it goes.
1: Noah back at. How are you doing, Noah? I'm uh, doing
2: good. I, I was kind of <laughs> jealous listening to you talk about uh, going down to Disney World.
0: Disney World. He did not go to Disney World.
2: Oh, where did where did you go? Universal. Universal. <laughs> oh. Where
0: we're going in October.
2: My bad. Well, Universal Florida.
0: Oh, yeah, Orlando. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's 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 always a good time down there even if it I mean every year me and my wife promise each other that we're going to take it like easier because you know, age is a bitch and you can't do everything that you want to do. <laughs> and every year we still uh, one day we got almost 30,000 steps in. Like that is fucking ridiculous yeah it was that's like.
2: that's <laughs> usually when we go to like disneyland you're we're walking to like shit close, close to like 10 mm-hmm. miles or more in one day
0: well the hubby reverend yeah. knows what's up when we go to hollywood uh the hubby does not know i do have a huge surprise and i am not fucking telling until we get there um so yeah you're,
1: you're going you're going to enjoy it no it's 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 going to be worth it better not be the goddamn
2: go. stranger things fucking attraction again. oh
0: yes that's the fuck how did he find out
1: dude, Figured it reverend out
0: did you tell him
2: dude that was such a nightmare
0: <laughs> i don't Where,
2: everybody's in their cars and like you gotta roll your windows up because of covid well it's we like, don't have
0: to walk so that's the surprise surprise yeah
2: that It was the most insane thing. We just wanted to crack the windows a little bit. Like, you can't do that. We need the windows up because of COVID. Oh, God. Like, it was Everybody's fucking... in individual cars. What are we talking about?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, that is not the surprise, honey. But, yes, uh, Reverend is right. We're going to have a good time. So uh, I am a little concerned about rain because I know that's been a literally a damper <laughs> on the situation a bit. But I think we could still have a great time.
1: Yeah, I, I think given what you've got going on, you'll you'll have a great time because you're you're going to, I mean, that's going to mitigate some things. But oh, yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So today, in honor of my co-host, we are covering films based upon the woman in white or the welling woman legends. Uh, first up, we have a nostalgia-filled 1988 cult classic, and rounding out the evening is one of the many film iterations of the Latin American folk story La Llorona. So kick back, try to ignore that creepy ghostly crying coming from the dark corners of your home, and join us as we discuss Lady in White and the Shutter exclusive La Yorona. If you're enjoying this podcast, we would appreciate if you would take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on the podcast listings and helps us grow. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show.
0: Yeah, we, we're, we're growing very slowly in the followers, which is exciting to kind of see. And I'm still like, where are you guys coming from? Like, uh, I know the last it's, video it's- we posted did good, you know, and it's still...
1: I'm watching that show on Hulu right now called uh, Only Murderers in the Building, the one with Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short. Uh huh. And um, it's all about them making up this true crime podcast or whatever because they, they uh, them, and like there's another, like I forget, Gomez or whatever her name is, like she's, you know, younger actress who's in it. Uh, and it's kind of funny seeing her interact uh, like a gen or millennial Gen Z, whatever, interacting with those older guys. But, anyways, uh, they're, the funny thing to me is like doing this podcast and then watching that show is because they're starting, the, they're doing their own podcast because they enjoyed the podcast that they listen to so much. And they're like sitting there in their are you know, like we got 17 subscribers now. And they're like, oh my God. <laughs> That's know, pretty much us like,
0: right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I just thought uh, it's, it's funny watching that because they're, you know, they're like trying to you know, uh, figure out ways to, to build up their audience and all that. And I'm just like, that's, that's hilarious. You know, well, we're not paying anything- for anything.
0: Yeah. We're not paying to get subscribers. Uh, we're definitely not sh- like we share our stuff, but mainly primarily to the pages and everything. So yeah. it's just, I don't know. Uh, it's, and then watching the analytics, both on RSS and YouTube, they're finding us through things that are suggested to them. And a lot of searches for us, too. And I'm like, that's more people than we know. So why are you searching for Death Holler? Thank you for searching for Death Holler.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that people are discovering the show like that. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, but anyways, before we get all of that, to all of that, let's go to a, a tax and bees here.
0: All right. What, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh
2: no! no not the beast! Not the
3: beast! Ah! Oh my!
1: This one uh, for this episode is mainly a thematic choice. I don't know if you would call it a B movie, although I don't know if a lot of people people know about this movie, too. So it's kind of like an under-the-radar movie for a lot of folks. It's a 2012 movie, The Woman in Black, uh, directed by James Watkins, uh, written by Susan Hill, the the novel version at least is, and then Jane Goldman, who did the screenplay. Uh, Principal players in this is uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who plays Arthur Kipps. And, of course, he will forever be known as Harry Potter, and will never get away from that no matter what he does. So there you go. <laughs> um, he's in the really weird Swiss Army. See, the thing about Daniel Radcliffe is to get away from being Harry Potter, he just does weird movies. Swiss done, Army uh, Man, Swiss... Is,
2: that's a hell of a good movie.
1: <laughs> Which one is it?
2: It's the one where he's with the dead his dead buddy or dead body. Swiss oh, yeah, Army that's, Man. Yeah. yeah,
1: the Swiss the Swiss Army Man. Yeah, he's a really weird movie. You you didn't like it. Uh, I it's not that I don't like it. It's just it's it's just I don't know. Like the concept is just so out there. It, it, it kind of lost me. It's because I mean like if, if this one the same one we're talking about the dead body, which I think could is Daniel Radcliffe. Like he's no 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 just no. The,
2: he's just I, I want. I thought of the, there was this. Counterpartner that was that guy he found was dead.
1: No, the one I'm thinking of, I think Dan Radcliffe is the dead body and like he does nothing but fart. Like he releases gas because he's decomposing and that helps the guy get off the island and then like makes his way back to the, the land and He's like best friends with this dead body, and like it, you know. And as his whole life is falling apart, it's really weird movie. Just yeah,
2: he uses the farts of the guy to propel himself across the water, and he cracks he cracks coconuts with the guy's head, like he does. Yeah, he uses the guy for all these like
1: (laughs) things. Swiss Army Man. He's he's used for all these different things. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is going to be Weird Al in the Weird Al Yankovic story. I really want to see that when it comes out. Hmm, um, interesting. They're it's it's sort of a mockumentary style, you know. Like I don't know if you ever saw that Dewey Cox Walk Hard that uh, John C. Riley did, where he was like imitating, you know, all those uh, rock documentaries, like the Johnny Cash story and all that, where it was kind of you know a joke. But they're doing that with Weird Al. It was like it's. Um, it's like a uh, like a hyper uh, dr- dramatized version of Weird Al's life, where he's like this badass that always knew that he was going to be a kickass rock star. Or something. it's just it's it, it's going to be hilarious. And then Daniel Radcliffe actually looks pretty good in the part. So well,
0: I mean, it makes sense since all of like Weird Al's music is a mockery of other music obviously and so it's it's a oh my god it's
1: mocking the other thing yeah yeah it makes total sense Uh, he does Um, actually
0: look pretty good as a weird owl
1: yeah i mean and he i don't know it just he looks like he's really going to like he really got into the role too like from what i've seen in the preview so i really look forward to seeing what comes out of that
0: one that's fucking awesome
1: Uh, he was in that guns, a Kimbo movie where if I remember right, like he gets like, he wakes up and guns are taped to his hand and he has to go around like killing people. I don't know that another weird movie was in. Yeah. They're grafted Um, to his hands. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, horns was a really good movie that he was in. I don't know if you all saw that one yet or not. Yeah,
2: That's a hell of a good movie. Actually. It's a good twist too.
1: Yeah. And that's based on a, um, Joe Hill story, which you know, of course, we've you know, Black Phone, and you know, all of that. So, and uh and the Victor Frankenstein movie, he played Igor. I don't weird choice for Daniel Radcliffe to play, but he played Igor in that. so yeah. biggest go. zit ever. <laughs> <laughs> when he pops uh, his back, that's wild. Yeah, I, I need to watch it. I I, I not normally like a big mark for uh, Frankenstein movies, but that one just never. It just didn't hit me the right way from the previews. So yeah,
2: it was it was actually pretty good. He did a good job with this character as um, as Igor.
1: He's actually pretty good. In most of the stuff he does, like, and I'll get into it in the synopsis for this one. I mean, there, I, I think the director messed up in this in this particular movie, but I, Daniel Radcliffe's actually pretty good considering that. He was basically a child actor who I don't even think he was necessarily picked for his skill in acting because if you watch the very first Harry Potter movies, none of those kids could really act. I mean, not well. They took orders okay, but they didn't really emote. It was like they, but they steadily all got better as they went along, you know. So um, Janet McTeer plays Mrs. Daly. Uh, she's been in Ozark, uh, Jessica Jones, Maleficent. She was the narrator in that. Uh, she was in the, she's in a movie called The Menu that's coming up with Anya Taylor-Joy and Nicholas Holt and Ralph Fiennes, who was, of course, Voldemort in the Harry Potter movies, which is funny. Um, that menu movie looks interesting to me. Have you all saw the previews for that
0: one? No. Mm.
1: It's like uh, Nicholas Holt, of course, I believe you might remember him, Urena, uh, from the movie uh, uh, Warm Bodies. Uh, oh, yeah. He was... He was like Romeo in that, but uh, and then of course, Anya Taylor Joy with the Vivich. But um, it's it's like a movie where they've all like agreed to go to this place where like Ralph Fiennes is kind of like a uh, Gordon Ramsay type chef, and he's like delivering them the most magnificent meals in existence, even if they're like endangered animals or whatever they are. But it in the preview for the movie, it gives the hint that they're they're also. Like, they're a bunch of rich bastards that also—it's it, got, like, that Daily game vibe to it. Like, they're hunting the, the staff and stuff on top of it. So, I don't know if it's going to get into cannibalism, if it's just about them, like, you know, using their elitism to attack, you know, like, other people, you know, that they feel are, like, lower class than them. But it's got an interesting vibe to it. That's all the trailer really gives away from it, though.
0: Yeah, definitely something sinister about some of the photos or the stills I'm looking at, so—
1: uh, and then we have, uh, Kieran Hines, who's playing, uh, Sam Daly. Uh, he was in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two. I just, I find it hilarious that all these British actors are always in the same movies together. Uh, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, which is a really good movie with Gary Oldman. Um, Game of Thrones. He played Matt's Radar in that. So, or Mance Radar. So you got that. Uh, he was in the Terror TV series. Did you ever watch that one on AMC? That was a pretty interesting horror show. Yeah, that was hella good. I didn't watch
2: season two. I have it, but I haven't watched season two yet. Yeah, it, it, it was an
1: anthology series, so they don't really combine, but the, the first season was really good, I thought, with that frozen Arctic setting and Oh, everything. yeah,
2: it's super creepy. And then the food was all poisoned and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, – the second one's – from what I gained from, because they're all supposed to follow real things, like real events that happened to a degree that it's kind of loose with that. But I know the second season is like, uh, the, about the Japanese nine fourteen camps when they were testing on uh, people from Korea yeah, and uh, China.
1: Yeah. I, I knew it had like an Asian vibe to it, but I didn't really know the story about the second one necessarily. So, um, he was also, uh, played Julius Caesar in Rome, the, uh, I believe on Showtime or HBO, I believe that was on, uh, he was in the movie First Man, uh, he was in Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance with our, our guy, Nicholas Cage, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, the Phantom of the Opera, 2004, um, Synopsis for this movie, in 1906, a widowed solicitor, a lawyer for all of us Americans, must leave his young son to investigate Ill Marsh House in pursuit of documents constituting a will. He is met with a cold and unwelcoming reception by the folks living in the nearby village of and uh, Gifford. Uh, with only the help of a wealthy local landowner named Sam Daly, the solicitor confronts the spirit dwelling uh, within the Ill Marsh House and uncovers the secret behind her haunting. Uh, children die in brutal ways, a vengeful spirit continues her campaign of revenge, and long-separated dead are reunited. Um, my biggest issue with this movie, it was really, I mean, it's it's well-filmed. It's got good actors and actresses for the the minute amount of parts in the movie because it's it's long stretches of it. Are, is, I'm going to say Harry Potter because that's what I meant. Anyways, having uh, Daniel Radcliffe by himself, He's fine at the beginning. He's actually really good at the beginning of it. Whenever he's, because his whole thing is where he's widowed, like he's got a lot of scenes where he's like still grieving his wife, and like he's he's like a, a a single dad, and like you know, and all that. So he's really good at the first half of the movie, where he's dealing with all that, and you can see that he's internally torn, you know, apart and traumatized. But when it gets toward the end of the movie, like when he's supposed to be like what I would anticipate, somebody who's you know you're getting attacked by this uh horrific looking woman in black spirit you would have some kind of emotion of fear and like he never wants emotes, like a fearful like you know and maybe in his eyebrows go up a little bit that's it and i don't know (laughs) if it's like one of those things where it's a british story you know how the british are not supposed to react to you know sensational loss things like that you know stiff upper lip and all that stuff i don't know if that's what they were telling him or what but it, it it to this American, it, it sells, it, it plays false. It, it like really does. Like he has no, he's just kind of like, Oh yeah, I'll help this ghost out because she nearly tried to kill me. It's like, what? That, that makes no sense. Why don't you just get the fuck out of there before she kills your kid? Because he already knows at the end of it, that anybody that she is targ- that anybody has children because she lost her own. She takes their children from them. So why would he, and he knows his son is coming to town so like instead of just getting the hell out of there and saying fuck this job, I'm just gonna go spend time with my son. He's like, no, I gotta solve this. I gotta I, I gotta make sure that sh- this you know gets resolved and all that. I'm just like, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean we we had the argument we was talking about the changeling about why that guy stayed and hit in the house with it, but that's because through most of the hunting he thought it was his daughter trying to reconnect yeah. with him. This guy knows that it's like this. E- this evil female spirit, like he still stays in that town. So maybe
0: she was a hot uh, evil spirit.
1: Maybe he's trying to get laid. Uh, no, <laughs> she. A she wasn't. I mean, she was an old hag before she ever became like an evil spirit.
2: Let and me then, like, revise me, you to a movie that really hits
1: us. You ever seen Scary Movie Two? <laughs>
0: <laughs> just put a bag over her head.
1: Yeah, just put a bag over her head. Um, I don't know. I mean, she does come at him pretty quick. So, I mean, she might be, you know, she might be ready to get on that. I don't know. She's like, I loved you at Harry Potter. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's, it doesn't, I mean, I think that's the reason this movie didn't catch on. It was like people watching it were like, are we supposed to be, if the main actor's not scared, are we supposed to be scared? You know, like it, that doesn't make sense. It's like, confused. You gotta, you, <laughs> and I don't know. It's one of those things. It's just like, I mean, that's the reason I think barbarian is so good because the characters themselves are horrified about what's going on and you're in their shoes. Whereas like this, like he couldn't be bothered and, you know, and and then Sam Daly doesn't believe in any of the stuff. So he's not scared of the spirit. And it's just like, okay, so what am I supposed to be scared of during all this? And, and that's where you're left at. Um, music wise and all that, it's okay. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's kind of just run of the mill. Like, I mean, at least it does get it right where it like the music swells right before the ghost attacks and all that stuff. But when the main actor doesn't really respond to the attack, then it doesn't really help sell it. So, um, Nick cage rating. I'm going to give to Amos and Andrew. It's a good setup in the first act, but the rest of the movie just doesn't really pull off the premise. So there you go. That's what you got for this one. (laughs) Um, when Donnie G describes a woman all in white, he isn't meaning the same thing we are. <laughs> uh, here, here's a description of a backroom classic at Video Smash Up.
0: Oh, no. And now it's time for another episode of I Think I Downloaded the Wrong Movie.
3: up everyone, it's Donnie G once again, and today Senorita La Lorena has given me the option to review either The Legend of La Lorena or The Woman in White, and honestly, I could not find anything that was worthy of such review until I came across the 1997 Spanish classic, Zamora Este Coliando de Blanco, which I think translates into The Crying Woman in White. In attempts for success in the corporate world, the young Miss Juanita Vasquez has a group interview before six board members. Miss Vasquez, who is obviously nervous, begins to take the interview, and the board members are growing more and more unimpressed. So in the last-ditch effort, in order to re-spark their interest, she uncrosses her legs, basic instinct style, to let them know exactly what it is she has to offer and what she can bring to the table. Some pussy. Now, my review on this is going to be just a little bit based, and I'll explain why once I'm finished. Uh, this was, it was a good movie. Uh, I wasn't familiar at all with the actress, but you could definitely tell that she knew how to work a dick. Four, six. there wasn't any real, for lack of a better term, there wasn't a dominant role. Uh, <laughs> the male actors, they were ragdolling her, and she was 100% into it it was almost to the point where I couldn't tell exactly if they were banging her or if it was the other way around. And of course, you couldn't have a six on one scenario without it ending up in a bukaki scene. Now my ranking on this is going to be four out of five eggplants. Um, my only two deductions on this was one half point was because gangbangs they really aren't my thing. Now, if they are your thing, great, more power to you, but me, personally, uh, it's just not really my thing. And another half point is because I have absolutely no clue what this has to do with The Legend of La Lorena or The Woman in White. So, if gangbangs your thing, go ahead and check out La Mora Este Coleando de Blanco, especially if you speak Spanish. Maybe you'll catch something that I missed. And again, if you're new at the show, follow us on Instagram. Follow Death Holler at Death Holler Podcast. And you can follow myself at Big Bald M-F-E-R. And until next time, friends, get fucked. That
0: f- is not <laughs> his Spanish horse
2: I could hella make a quick cartoon for each one he does.
1: You... <laughs> If you watch that movie, you will definitely catch something, but it it might not be. (laughs) When I said the woman
0: in white, I did not mean the woman dripping in white. I.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That is not what I told him to review. (laughs) Well, uh, it is what it is. Donnie G is going to review what he's going to review. So there you go. <laughs> you all shit. ready for the uh, the main movies this evening? <laughs>
0: uh, yes, please get us out of this place.
1: <laughs> all right, Lady in White, nineteen eighty eight, directed by, written by, and music by Frank Lalogea. Uh Budget of four point seven million U.S. dollars, and only made box office of one point seven million in the U.S. theatrically. However. It did earn an estimated three to five million more through home video release, cable deals, and foreign sales. So it it was profitable overall, but it just it wasn't profitable right out off the bat in the theater release.
0: Isn't I did read that about this particular film and this is one of the first films that I've read about that they actually do mention that where it's like oh well right at the first we didn't make our money but then over time and it's like well yeah every movie has the potential to make a movie over time. We're talking a box office hits
1: <laughs> went. When I go, when I talk about the uh, the financials and the uh, trivia portion of this, you'll kind of get an idea why they promote that because this movie was basically it was a self uh, funded grift, if you want to call it that. And I'll leave it at that until I get to the uh, to the actual uh, you know trivia about it. But that yeah, they they had to do some uh, funky math to get this thing to work out. So
0: I mean, glad they made their money back. I mean, that's always a good thing in film, you know
1: yeah i mean for sure that's better than what disney's coming up with for some of their recent bombs so you know (laughs) there you go
0: well keep on doing what you're doing disney it's working
1: yep yep principal players lucas haas who plays frankie scarlatti who is an author a bullied child and someone who sees dead people you know it's back it's back everybody um men uh movies he was in is midnight in the switchgrass which is a 2021 megan fox and bruce willis movie which is kind of interesting it's one of those uh two uh, red box bruce willis movies and of course megan fox who i don't know what the fuck's going on with her and machine gun kelly but they're fucked up in the head so there you go <laughs> um first man with uh kieran hines who we've already mentioned uh and woman in black so you got a little uh cross-pollination between these movies going on okay uh he was in the revenant uh which is a pretty good leo uh dicaprio movie uh another one with leo inception and um dark was the night mars attacks uh red riding hood that's the one that's the uh that came out a few years back that uh, i can't remember her name off the top of my head the, the other girl that was in uh, there was megan fox and um uh, Jennifer's body, but, uh, she kind of, that kind of was a werewolf vibe or whatever going on in that one. It was, but it was done like in the twilight style where she's got like all these like love interests going on. Oh kind of. A, yeah. Uh, twilight zone, the TV sh- uh, series, he plays himself in Zoolander <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was in the outcast video roses. So oh, there you go. <laughs> I
0: love that fucking video and song. I want to say real quick about red riding hood. Cause it brought up, um, something. Remember how Uh, Amanda
1: Seyfried, I think is her name. That's, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, in, in regards to red riding hood. So remember how I told you that, uh, once upon a time it started off pretty good for the first few seasons and then it just drops off horribly. One of the twists, they did have red riding hood as a character in, I want to say the first and second season. Uh, she ends up being the werewolf (laughs) and it was, it was awesome how they did it and it was actually pretty fucking not scary scary, but good enough of a thrill. It wasn't it didn't come off Disney at all. It came off pretty like it had definitely like bits of horror in it. So that was before it became shit, so.
1: So it's a little bit darker before they introduced oh, the frozen yeah. shit and all that. It yeah. was
0: it was pretty dark, like the first through the first through third season, maybe fourth, and then it just starts getting all fluffy in Disney. <laughs>
1: Uh, we have Alex Rocco making his return to the podcast, playing Angelo or Al Scarlatti, and we've already covered him in the Entity episode, if you remember on that one. He was the uh, bullshit boyfriend who left her after he realized that he couldn't stand up to the ghost that was raping her, so there you go.
0: Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Heavy. I'm being raped Daily by a ghost, how long are you sticking around? And we're just dating.
2: I'm just gonna put you in the mental asylum because they don't exist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he didn't put her in a mental asylum, see? He just was like, well, you have fun.
2: Yeah, he's like, I ain't doing with this shit. What do you say, bitch? Yeah. Now, <laughs> on your own time.
0: What if you physically get attacked by the ghost yourself and you know it's real?
2: Are they paying me down and jerking me off? Like, what's
0: happening? No, he's butt raping you. Are you at least gonna try to help her? Because you've just been butt raped by an entity, and you're like, "Oh so fuck!" This keep is to legit. myself
2: and leave. <laughs> can't tell anybody about this. It's gonna make me look bad.
1: <laughs> he's gonna be. He's gonna be slowly backing out of
2: the room, and, and like, not and my, not taking
0: you her mean? with you.
1: Yeah.
2: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> See.
0: Okay.
1: See what you bring to our house. This is why I can't be with you. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we have Jason Presson playing, uh, Gino Scarlatti, uh, who's the brother. Um, and then of course, uh, Al was the father. Uh, he was in uh, Twilight Zone the TV series also, uh, was in Gremlins 2, the new batch and in Arachnophobia, which is really weird because he was in the sound department on that one. So he wasn't an actor at that point. He was just working in the sound. He was making uh, the spidery I,
0: sounds, which th- that had good spider sounds for sure.
1: What, what do y'all think about the fact that they're remaking that? Do you think that would be any uh, good? what?
0: Um. Yeah. Why
1: are they remaking that?
0: I mean, I think, okay, because it was so, I mean, from what I remember, it's been a long time. I thought that movie had really good scares, really good thrills to it. But the new it, one, they, if they don't go to CGI, it, it, I think it could be good.
1: I think what they're doing on the new one is they're cutting out the comedy. And I don't know if I can handle that because Aww. honestly, I I do have arachnophobia to a degree and that's the only reason I love that original movie is because it allows me to kind of have some kind of like therapy in the sense that I know anytime that, that John Goodman shows up, I'm going to be fine, you know, yeah. cause he's the comedy relief, you know, but, oh,
0: um, no. yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to watch it and, and decide on our own.
1: Uh, we have, An- uh, Angelo Bert- Bertolini who plays Papa Charlie. Who's the grandpa who's trying to quit smoking and his damn wife? Or well, actually, no, he loves smoking. And his wife say, yeah. let him enjoy it. Is he so. trying to quit? <laughs> no, he. Well, he tells her he's going to quit, but no, he enjoys it too much. Okay. Mama Mia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Renata Vanny, who's playing Mama Asunta, uh, who is uh, always, you know, giving Papa Charlie a bunch of shit
0: and always and, cooking.
1: Yes, and always cooking something. But she's an Italian grandma, was she? You know, that's that's what happens. You know, um, Jared Rushton, who plays Donald. And this little fucker was always the bad guy, or was always the bully kid in like in eighties movies. Like every time I saw him, he was playing that part. Oh yeah, oh yeah, um, yeah. he was. When he dropped that hard R, dude, I was like, wow. Hard
0: this R. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. He said the N word, but he said the hard R oh, on the okay. N word. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i know we're watching i was uh, like that's wild <laughs> and i will move here like yeah, you... was
0: it <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh tales from the dark side the tv series uh the movie big with tom hanks oh yeah he was in the movie o- overboard he was one of the punk ass kids that uh kurt russell had so there you go he was oh, in my that
0: <laughs> yeah, he's very <laughs> recognizable I shrunk the kids mm-hmm.
1: and uh pet cemetery too he was the bully in that one uh he was the one that. uh uh, I believe it was, it. Is it Eddie Furlong that's in that, that he beats up yes. all the time? Or yes. I... Yes. And then he gets yeah. a dirt bike to dirt bike tire to the face. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the best scenes in that movie. Um, Lynn Carew, who plays Phil Terragrossa who's a complete bastard in this movie and deserved everything that happened to him and more. Um, this guy played, uh, Blue Blood. he plays in the Blue Bloods TV series it's on right now, or was, I, I don't know if it's still it's on. very
0: recent, for sure. Uh,
1: About Schmidt, uh, 1408, a Stephen King movie, uh, Secret Window, another Stephen King movie, and then just a ton of uh, TV appearances. A lot of these were TV actors and actresses, uh, which kind of fits, because this has like a TV movie vibe to it, to me, so... Um, Henry Harris, who plays Harold Williams, uh, Men of Honor, and the Dark Side of Genius, Um, terribly tragic. What happens to to Henry Harris in this movie? Just a simple school, you know, uh, janitor, and ends up getting fucking yanked because of his skin color. But that's how things happened back in the day. Uh, Yeah, because this was placed in the
0: sixties.
1: Yeah, because it's yeah the movie's done in the eighties, but set in the sixties. And I mean, you know, early
0: sixties, not just. Not going towards the, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, they even have like the news, uh, which I liked a little bit, you know, it was setting up the vibe for the times, you know, it has, uh, Al, you know, the father, you know, the father, he's watching TV one night and they're talking about the school and, you know, uh, integrations they're doing in the South and all that stuff. And it kind of sets you up for the, even though they're in the North, You know, there's still a lot of, you know, racial division at that time. Big time.
0: And even though it's not stated so much in this movie, you think it's pretty normal. But even Italians, as they were in this film, even they had a hard time integrating into certain areas. So they kind of. And I
1: think that's, I think that's the reason I agree with you. And I think that's the reason why maybe Al was more sympathetic to William's plot, you know, in the movie. Absolutely. Um uh, we have Rose Weaver playing Maddie Williams. Uh, she was in Tales from the Crypt, a TV series, uh, The Accused, and Poetic Justice. We have uh, Catherine Helmond playing Amanda, um, who was Mona and Who's the Boss. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and and she was a good friend of Liloisia. That's the reason she agreed to do this movie. She was also an overboard. Uh, so <laughs>
0: we get a lot of overboard so actors in this particular season.
1: Yeah, kind of weird. (laughs) Just needed Kurt Russell to show up and kind of pull a trifecta on this one. Uh, Soap TV series. uh, She was in the movie Brazil. uh, Cars movies. uh, She played Lizzie in those. Uh, She was in the TV show Coach with Craig T. Nelson, who is an alumni on this podcast. Yes. And then, of course, she was in the Elvira show. She played uh, Aunt Minerva on the TV movie. So she's got a connection to Elvira. (laughs) uh Karen Powell who plays Aunt Montgomery and the lady in white and uh and then we have Joelle Jacoby who plays Melissa and Montgomery the poor little girl who uh is kind of the catalyst for the whole film so I don't know do you want to cover just like the woman in white lore at this point or do you want to hold that off until the segment with Llorona, or La Yorona and cover it then <sighs>
0: Yeah, let's kind of, let's kind of mingle the two together.
1: Okay. So, um, synopsis for this, um, pretty quick one. A famous horror author comes back to his quaint New Jersey hometown to pay respects to the spirits that changed his life forever. Uh, the past comes back to haunt the living, the sins of racism claim another victim and a serial killer finally pays for his crimes, which is one of the best parts of the movie for me. Um, what do you all think about this movie, just in general? Like, I mean, did you enjoy it? I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's attained a cult status in, like, I feel like the last five to ten years. Like, I mean, I didn't even know about it until uh, probably about five to ten years ago, so.
0: Are we giving away this information freely already? Because you're going to have to guess whether I liked it or not.
1: I'm going to say that you did like it because it has those old school Halloween vibes at the beginning of it. And it has a very fall and Halloween feeling. And if you don't like that, then fuck you. That's what I'm going to throw out there. So go ahead.
0: Um, You know what? I I, I do appreciate that for sure. Because um, the opening was actually pretty, like, adorable. Um, The problem with this movie and why I absolutely did not like it is it kind of stayed that way through the whole thing and was very... Sugary.
2: God damn, you suck.
0: <laughs> I thought this movie was so sugary the whole time. I mean, it had a few plights in it, and I could not get into it. I was getting so frustrated.
1: It's it's a this is the kind of movie that's like a introduction to Halloween horror movie for kids, is really what it is. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, I'll give
0: it that. And I wasn't expecting that.
1: And I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate, it. I mean, I get what you're coming or where you're coming from on that. And I can completely understand, I mean, the, the, the sugary aspects to it, but it's the family aspects to it, just the, the nostalgia built into it, the way that they, I mean, they introduce like, you know, all these things that, I mean, you know, we, we, we complain about woke stuff and, you know, it's got the racism and all that built into it, but it's appropriate for the time. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's not a main thing it's not the main emphasis of the movie either it's like worked into the plot of the movie that that you know that that's who's blamed and i just all that stuff together i i really enjoy this movie so you know for what it is you know
2: what sums this movie up the best is if the goonies was a horror movie this is what it would be
1: yeah, I agree with that. Especially with the interaction between Gino and his brother, uh, because they, they kinda get along like, you know, the 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 you like know, you like you would characters. expect kids. Yeah, like the kids do and the and and they even like give each other shit, you yeah. know, and
2: it's it it's really tangible to how kids operate. You, you know what my biggest and, thing uh, I liked about the movie the most was it had that that adventure type feel to it. Like you it was a lot of unknown stuff like that, but but it did it a good job of weaving the horror into the adventure feel of the movie. It, it, it had a really good, that old school, when you're a young kid, you're just going on adventures to random random places, random things, and it kind of really it nailed it to me.
1: I, I agree with that entirely, and uh, and I liked parts of and now that you're mentioning that, the aspects of the horror that they're working to it, even whenever you think that like they might be beyond it, like the, in, in, like the scene where Frankie's in his room, and he's not really being like, I don't think that's at a time where the little girl is visiting him, but then you see like the girl's grandma who's still living, but you don't realize that at the time, just kind of hovering at the window or oh, whatever, yeah. looking in at him or whatever. And she looks so freaky anyways. And that Mona does. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, um, it, it, it works like those elements in as the movie's going along, even if it is like working in the family elements and it's, it, it's not, I don't want to say it in the derivative way of saying, because Hallmark movies have a tone and everybody knows what they are, but it has like that Hallmark card feeling to it. It's like, you know, it's a, it's just like, there's joy in the movie, even if it is a yeah. horror movie. So Yeah,
2: it very much has a Hallmark feel, but they did a good job of executing what the movie was supposed to be doing. Yeah. It, it, it It didn't feel like it was a made for TV movie, even though it kind of almost comes off like that.
0: It gave me, I told Noah last night that it gave me, like, a Christmas story vibes if it was a fantasy horror, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> to, to me. It was, it, yeah, I, I agree with that. It does. It even has, like, the soft focus at time on the lens to where it's, like, almost like a dream more than it is, like,
2: you And know. the
0: narration as well.
2: It, it just, it, it was like watching the Goonies, if the Goonies was a horror movie to me. Like, when I was watching it, that's all I could think. I was like, dude, they nailed that Goonie-type feel but
1: they executed it in a horror framing. I mean, I... I can't not love this movie just for even the first part of it, just because like that scene where they're in the, the school classroom and they've got the pumpkins that they brought in from home, the jack-o'-lanterns and they're telling like ghost stories. And it's like the last day. So the teacher doesn't give a fuck about the actual teaching of the class, you know, before they go to, you know, have Halloween and are just enjoying the day. Like, I mean, even if it was set in the sixties, that was still going on in the eighties. That was like very nostalgic for our childhood. You know, yeah. it's like, and I don't, feel like kids get that anymore it's like i don't know i mean that's part of the thing that people complain about with schools but it's like if they're not preaching doom and gloom to these poor kids on a 24-hour basis or trying to get riled up over you know adult political things it's it's they're they're, you know they don't feel like they're doing their job and and it was missing all that in that school scene it's just like your kids have fun you know you're getting ready to go on you know and have uh, a good holiday, you know, and, and that sort of thing.
0: It's sad because we got kids nowadays that at, like, 11, 12 years old, they're like, yeah, I'm not trick-or-treating anymore. I'm too old for that. And I'm like, the fuck you are. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your costume, you little shit. I'm going, I'm going as you. <laughs>
1: And it even has, I mean, because it's set over a time period, you even get, like, the Christmas feeling into the movie, like, toward the end of it, right before, you know, everything comes to a head and they they resolve the the killer's identity and all that, which, how how do you feel about that? i bring that up real quick. I mean, did you see it coming? There's hints there throughout the movie, but they're very vague. They don't, like, go out of their way to give them away, like maybe, you know, The Sixth Sense did.
0: I think... Uh, I figured it out, which I don't normally figure things out, by the way, folks. This is, this is new for me. I figured out when they were kind of highlighting uh, Phil so much, like how great of a friend he was, and they really kind of put that out there in the movie, and I'm like, oh, he's going to be the fucking, he's going to be the weirdo that's killing these kids. At least I thought it, and then I was actually surprised when that's what it turned out to be.
1: They had a moment where they tried to give you a red herring the other way where they had the scene between al and phil where they were going over their childhoods and why they were such best friends because you know uh, phil's parents died at an early age mm. or at an early age for him and then uh, you know al's parents took him in and helped raise him and so you yeah, and it kind of and it works too because normally you don't get like that the movie trying to give you empathy for the person who's eventually going to be the killer. Like a lot of times they, you know, they, they want it to be stark, but in this one, they're like, no, he, there's a reason why the family, I mean, he's, he's good to the family. He's maybe just not good to anybody else, you know? Yeah.
0: And so it was believable when he was like, I wouldn't have killed you if I, I didn't know it was you, but you had the mask on. It's like, bro, like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) how'd you feel about it? Now, what'd you feel about the reveal of, of it being Phil and all that?
2: Uh, the first time I saw him in, enter the the frame of the movie, I I thought he was a killer. But I was also stupid high, so I was just like... I
0: was like, hey, yeah,
2: I could see this guy being the killer, and then sure as shit, it turned out to be...
0: Were you surprised when he found out, or were you like, I knew it?
2: I knew it. I, I said that when when they kind of uncovered it. I was like, I figure he'd be the killer. <laughs> the, the scene where the kid comes, has the epiphanies. the killer is pretty good.
0: Yeah, the, I think the actors... Uh, well, the child actors in the film and a few of the other actors were pretty decent in this film.
1: Luke, I think Lou did a good job as a, as a kid actor because he's really young in this. Mm-hmm. And that scene where he has the epiphany, you can see it just all over his face. It just yeah. lights up. He's like, oh, shit. And then he just starts backing away from Phil. You know, he like he realizes what's going on. Yeah. And kudos to them for taking uh, old Bing Crosby song and making it kind of i mean it, it, at one point in the movie it's really sweet because the little girl's humming it and all that because that's the one that she was singing as as you know we don't realize phil but whoever the murderer is is walking her off to her doom yeah and then, like later on whenever he's humming it you know or whistling it then it gives it a malicious intent you know because you realize what's going on with that song, why, why that's being played all the time.
0: Yeah, there was some weird scenes in this movie, too. Well, towards the end, when we start to realize who and what Phil is, um, definitely some, as my husband put it, Joe Biden moments.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure, yeah. Uh,
0: it got real <laughs> fucking weird. I, I was not enjoying it at all. I was like, mm, I want to go home. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I was at home in my own bed.
1: Yeah, there was the Joe Biden feel to it, you know, or the uh, creepy old guy who shouldn't be hanging around her kids or, or being that affectionate toward them. Even if he does feel like they're family, that's still a little weird the way he was with it. And because uh, the one guy in the movie that's appropriate with how his affection would be is that other guy, not Phil, but the other guy who works with Phil and Al or whatever at doing the, you know, the metalworking or whatever, making the gates. They, uh, when he comes in, he's just like, Hey, Frankie, Hey, you You know, like you, that was, I mean, even if, I don't know, it might be stereotypical to some people, but it had like that, you know, I'm, you know, like the, the cool uncle vibes, whereas Phil was always just like, you're a little too close, buddy. Just back off, you know?
0: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, do you feel like that they gave or like any kind of feeling that, uh, that the, uh, let me look back his name here and remind myself that uh, Harold Williams, the the janitor, do you feel like he was uh, in any way, shape, or form like they painted the fact that he was truly the killer? Like, I never got that vibe the mm-hmm. entire movie. Like, you always knew it wasn't him and he was getting
3: framed.
0: Yeah, not once. I felt like he was being framed the entire time. Um, it was, It was kind of weird because I was very sad when they were arresting him at the school. And they were asking him simple questions. He was drunk. He was passed out in front of the TV. And they're like, does your wife know where you are? And it's like, well, that's kind of sad. Why was he getting drunk at the school? You know, I mean, he granted, he thought he was by himself. He probably didn't mean to get that drunk. But I was like, holy shit, What the hell? what else is going on, you know?
1: Yeah, and... <sighs> There's the thing with him, too. I mean, I I think it's a really well-done moment in the movie where, like, he he wins because they really don't have any evidence. And, like, he actually wins his freedom. And then that one woman who's been all worked up, you know, which is kind of, I mean, it's kind of a commentary before its time, honestly. Because, I mean, you look at the things that's happened in the last few years, how the media can whip you up into, like, a, you know, psychotic frenzy. Like, I mean, that's what basically happened with this woman. Like, she believed, at, you know, what she was reading to the point where, well, my, my baby died, so now you're going to die. Even if, you know, you got off Scott, you know, free in Eyes of the Law or whatever.
0: Yeah, she was fucking psycho.
1: And um, I, I, I think it's a really well-done scene, that moment where he, you know, and then and the actor, you know, Rocco, who plays Al or whatever, comes running in there, and he's, you know, trying to uh you know comfort uh uh, maddie or whatever and then realize that she shot at the same time because the bullet oh yeah that's even that's even worse like the bullet that killed her husband went through him and then hit her too so yeah uh
0: and we don't ever really find out if she's gonna survive or not
1: (laughs) no i I mean that's another thing that's why i was saying about the movie that's a part of this movie but it does it's not the point of the movie yeah so
0: I was dying. How the blood was like, look like uh, neon orange spray paint. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was the time, folks. It was the time. So there's that.
1: Um, let's see. As far as the visuals goes, this is a part of the movie where you can tell they were on a low budget because I mean they did the best they could, but like some of those like early, and I don't even know if you'd call them green screens, but like you know where Frankie was like flying through the sky or whatever, oh, yeah. you know when he was dying, and then. The, some of the scenes with the ghost girl. I mean, granted, they're way better than you know the original thirteen ghosts did with its <laughs> visuals, but that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, you, uh, know. you know
0: what? I didn't have a problem. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't have a problem with the visuals. I thought they were okay. They did the job. Um, they made it work. I liked how they were a little more, I guess, clear. You you knew what was going on. And I just, I mean, granted for the time, I thought I thought it worked, really. I, I did not let that affect me.
1: It it doesn't take me out of the movie. It's mm-hmm. just it's one of those things where we've seen, I mean, after you've seen the effects and the frighteners on how they did their ghost, it's kind of hard to go back to a movie like this and, you know, it, it, it stands out, you know. Oh, yeah. Two totally different times, budgets, all that stuff. So you can't. I'm not holding against it. I'm just saying they do stand out. If somebody was to go back and watch and say, "Well, you know, look at that," you know. But I think the effects. I mean, the visual, like the way they represented the town, was very well done and nostalgic. Though I think that really hit the right way. It made you feel like you were back in the '60s, the way they filmed it.
0: Yeah, it. <laughs> It reminded me of that episode of Supernatural where uh, Sam Winchester gets sucked into this marriage life with this one, I forget what she was, I don't know if she was a witch or whatever, and she put him under a spell, and they lived in like this sugary, sweet, sitcom-style lifestyle. And I, I know like, what you're
1: talking about. She, she was that younger, blonde-haired girl that ended up, it was a witch, it was a spell that she put him under, I believe, yeah. what we were talking about. She, she was the one that was the, went to conventions all the time. Yes! And... and yeah
0: so that was that it kind of gave me that feel of this town like, very fake like people aren't really like this you know etc and I'm like I mean like yes I guess there was I know there are places where they are like that I, I'm not oblivious to that it was just too much for me in this film I was like mm, this ain't real
1: well I was going to ask you but that that feeds into it and you can both answer this like what how did you feel about the family aesthetic or whatever because that, to me that sounds like you would think that that was a little too cheesy a little too saccharine or whatever but i really enjoyed how they were just a family that cared about each other even if they were you know gave each other shit on occasion you know over stuff
0: that makes it more realistic the fact that they gave each other shit but enough with the mama mia and the meatballs and the, <laughs> and the fingers and the talking like this uh, it was so much Oh, my God. It was excessive. I was like, like, we get it. You're fucking Italian. Okay.
1: What do you feel about that now? Would you feel the same way about
2: it? He
0: was high.
1: I thought it was hilarious.
0: I think think what he (laughs) thought was the reactions I was having was hilarious the whole time. He got to hear me the whole time. And I'm like, this is why I can't watch movies around him because he gets to see what my response is. So...
2: The the only thing I can think of is this: it was an over the top version to portray like Italians. For some reason, in my head, I keep th- I kept thinking about the uh, Super Mario Brothers cartoon when they were talking.
0: Yeah. Oh my God! It's me, Luigi. <laughs>
1: But the the funny thing was, is that loggia, I mean, being Italian himself, I mean, he based those characters off of his own family members. So, I mean, even if it was heightened Italian, it, it came from a authentic background to an extent. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I could, I, I could imagine how yeah, as a Mexican family, you could make that overly Mexican. So, and <laughs> even I,
2: I, then, if, if you were trying to make Mexicans overly Mexican, it still seemed accurate. <laughs> wow! When you've hung out around enough Mexicans, nothing really comes off as over the top. When you see like movies, I'm just saying, like with your family and this other ones, it's like it's pretty accurate. It's like, yeah, I could see that.
0: Esa es racista.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> you gonna tell me I'm wrong?
0: Uh, yeah, I am. are what? You're
2: so wrong.
0: You're wrong. You're not allowed to say that okay
1: (laughs) (laughs) i would make comments about my family but you know uh, some stereotypes exist for a reason oh yeah so anyways (laughs) uh so story-wise i enjoyed the story in this movie i like i said i you know i it's it's a simple story it's about a kid who sees a ghost on halloween night Uh, and then proceeds to like solve her and all she wants to do is just get back with her mom. And then like, you know, and then like they, and then the process, they solve like a murder a decades old murder mystery, which is really cool to me. So oh
0: yeah, literally a decade. Um, I thought the storyline was actually very good. I, I, I liked the storyline. I didn't entirely love the way it was executed, but that's a me problem. Uh, not anything else in particular, um, that, yeah, that's all I have to say about that.
1: <laughs> you feel? Uh, Noah, do you have any uh, differing opinions about the story or anything? No, I, I, I
2: overall, I, I like the movie. I thought they did a good job of executing what they were supposed to do, and they, it, it was, itbecause because how is it? How is it framed? It's framed as a fantasy horror type movie. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they did. They nailed all those parts and stuff. The the murder detective is a little too much for me, but. Overall, it was I liked
1: it. Yeah, I felt like the acting overall was uh, was I mean was good. I, I think there some of them were better than others. I liked personally. I thought that uh, Rocco, uh, you know, played Al, uh, and then you know uh, Frankie, and then Gino were the the highlights of the movie. I thought everybody else was adequate, but I mean, um, even the actress, you know, Mona's her name is Catherine uh, Helmand she she was all right, she wasn't in it enough, I mean, obviously, but she was like the big time actress that the movie kind of like you know, you know, hung its hat on, you know, and then it's like I don't I feel like that the child actor did as good of a job or better than her, so yeah, um, music. I, music doesn't really stand out. It's got that fantasy feel to it, just like Noah said. So it, it's, it, it adds to the the feeling of it's more of an adventure than it is a horror movie in lot of Definitely, and
0: there was, there was actually, I forget what scene it was, where the music absolutely did not match what was happening. <laughs> I, I want to say it was the very, very end, but it had a Danny Elfman sound to it. Like, before Danny Elfman was a big thing, he was getting ready to do Oingo, well, he was in Oingo Boingo at this time, and I wonder that it was somewhat of an inspiration.
1: That's true. I mean, it had more of that uh just poppy type feel that he had from that band. So
0: Yeah, it had a definitely Beetlejuice vibes to it. Like if you go back and listen to the the, the soundtrack in this, it 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 had a lot of that in it. So
1: Um, y'all have anything to add before I get into the trivia or just move right on? Mm.
0: No, because I think we pretty much covered. I mean, you're what you're going to get at the time in terms of cinematography is what you're going to get. Um, so we discussed that. We the characters we discussed pretty well. The music, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't know where else to go with that. Let's get into trivia.
2: You, you know, what I was okay. thinking the, the scene where he gets locked in that uh, that office, or not office, but like in that coat room or wherever the hell that is. Yeah. Yeah. Like they they could have did so much with them being in there and the guy discovering them, like. It, they could have made it where he scared the guy or whatever. I mean, they could have took that a lot of different ways, and they just went for the one where the kid just gets bombarded instead.
0: Yeah, and it's kind of weird if he didn't know who he was. Why did he let him live when he had been killing kids before? Which I know, obviously, the story had to happen the way.
1: I don't think the movie says this, but I think it. I think he thought that he had completely killed him. Oh, okay. <laughs> And it just so happened that Frankie was just like, he actually did die because I mean, oh, yeah. you saw the scene where he crossed over, but like he, he wasn't completely gone and whenever, and his dad and him found him quick enough to resuscitate him and then brought him back. And then that's whenever it feels like, fuck, you know, I messed yeah. up, you know, but I
0: do like how it sets up how he lost his ring or he was looking for his ring, you know, whatnot in that, in that little area. So it works.
1: Um, Rochester, New York uh, native Frank Lelogia based the film on a popular and longstanding local, local urban legend known as the White Lady. <laughs> uh, le- oh,
0: sorry.
1: <laughs> uh, legend has it the White Lady had a daughter who disappeared at the hands of a predatory young suitor, and so the White Lady roams the lakefront to this very day searching for her missing daughter. Uh, the supposed residence of the White Lady is actually the base of a demolished hotel that was built in the 1800s. Known as the White Lady's Castle, it has become a popular tourist attraction and party site for teenagers. I did Um, not get that in my lore
0: research at all.
1: (laughs) The director also wanted the film to be an homage to his family as a way to honor those who had gone and, and who were gone and he missed them. So that's that's yeah, like I said, that, you know, that Italian, overly Italian thing, that was just kind of his, you know, homage to them he had an initial image of a child locked in a cloak room that stayed with him and formed the basis for the film written. So basically this movie came about from him having just this one image of a kid locked in a cloak room. And then he was just like, and that stuck with him for a while. And he had it for years. And then like later, I believe it was his uh, cousin. I might get into it in this, but anyways, they, they, they mentioned the white lady's castle and then he's like, and then the rest of the story formed around that cloak room. So that's, that's the whole story was based on that. Um Lelogia doesn't consider the film a horror movie, which we kind of covered. It's more of a fantasy movie, if anything. Um, and he self funded this movie with the help of his cousin, investment wizard Charles Lelogia. Now, this you stay with me on this one because this mm-hmm. one's messed up. They basically sold stock in the company they made up to produce the film, Thoroughbreds U.S. Incorporated, because Charles was very into horse racing. And which eventually became New Sky Communications. So they sold stock to this company that they made up. Uh, some extra funding came from actress Catherine Helmond, who you know Mona, uh, and by taking a page out of the Cohen brothers' playbook and filming a promo reel of the climactic cliffhanging scene at the end of the movie, uh, and uh, they they used that one scene and screened it whenever they were low on funds uh, to complete the film. They used that one scene to and screen it for some n- New York bankers to finally get the the final amount of funding they needed to wrap everything up. Um, Lelougi had his first film, Fear No Evil, completely messed with by now defunct production company Avco Embassy after they pitched it in the final uh, two to three hundred uh, pitched in the final two to three hundred thousand needed to fund it. So that's the reason he tried to totally self fund this movie through the you know backing of other people because. When that one company uh, basically took over his original film, Fear No Evil, they started calling the shots and like completely fucked this movie ten ways from Sunday. So like they changed the point of it, they changed, and then they went out of business shortly thereafter. Um, to make the most of his budget, Lelouche sat down with the director of photography, Russ Carpenter, and storyboarded every single shot in the film, which is not common. So they sat down and had a Comic book version of each scene in this movie.
0: Holy shit. Every
1: single one. 1,500 drawings it took to make this or to make that storyboard. Uh, Russell Carpenter would uh, later win an Oscar for, for Titanic, speaking <laughs> what Noah mentioned earlier. So there you go. Um, it did not uh, do well in its initial theatrical run with many South California movie theaters reneging on their contract with the distribution company, New Century Vista, and pulling the movie after just one week. See, they they've initially had a uh, contract that they were just going to show it, the, you know, just, you know, every week like they were supposed to, and they pulled it at the first weekend and, and fucked everything over. Um, it was released in April 1988 against the biggest uh, slate of new films to come out in quite a while. 54 films were released that April versus 33 the previous year. And uh, some have blamed this film's main story hook, The Murder of a Child, as the reason it was not accepted initially. Uh, and even though that Nightmare on M Street had the same concept years <laughs> earlier, it was less realistic in the way the child murders were presented. So think about that. Freddy Krueger was less realistic, and so therefore was able to sell the movie a little bit better.
0: Okay. Okay. you <laughs> <Gotcha. laughs> out.
1: Uh, well, they did do it in a stylized manner, so I'll give them that. They didn't just show kids getting choked out, you know, which is more common, you know. <clears throat> Virgin Video paid millions for the home video rights and pushed out 100,000 copies to local video stores, giving the film a new lease on life as a home rental. Yeah. The foreign sales of the film, along with a video distribution deal, helped the movie make back every bit of its money before the disappointing U.S. theatrical release. So this movie made all of its money back before they ever released it in the theater.
0: Oh, okay. So they weren't too worried about that <clears throat> theater release, probably.
1: No, they, they weren't happy about it, but they, they weren't yeah. worried about the fact that it didn't get pulled. Uh, Lelogia said the movie continued to do well in these markets and made quite a bit of money for everyone involved financially over time, so... You know they, they they made bank on it eventually because of home video. Uh, the Blu-ray of this film was released by Shout Factor in 2016 and has since gone out of print as fetching and is fetching over a hundred dollars per copy now.
0: What the fuck? Uh,
1: yeah, movie collectors will pay, and I know sadly will pay quite a bit of money for a movie that's that's in a pristine format and gone out of print. So oh, we're reverend. suckers. <laughs> Uh, Lalojia has said in interviews that he had issues with shout factory during the high def restoration of the film. And that they tried to back out of an agreement to release the extended director's cut of the film saying they didn't have the rights to produced, uh, produce that, which they did. Uh, he also said that they failed to clean up the optical effects in the movie, much to his dismay. So he, if this movie is ripe right to come back out another way with him producing like a, a better director's cut of it. Okay. <clears throat> uh frank Lelogia asked his friend richard j silverthorne who play, uh, portrayed the adult lucifer and fear no evil to create a mask that frankie would use that was representative of bella lugosi's uh guys in dracula uh compare the mask at uh, the five uh, minute 50 uh m- or five minute and 50 second mark with a statuette of count dracula at forty nine forty eight. Uh, unfortunately this connection has lost to most viewers who immediately upon seeing it think the mask is of Richard Nixon. I didn't think uh, that, but maybe if you grew up in that time period, you would.
0: Uh, yeah, I didn't get that, but I did notice that the mask looked identical to the little figurine he had on his nightstand.
1: Yeah. And that, that's a good callback that he would, you know, that they would sync him up that way. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, on the DVD commentary, director Frank Lelogia says that he got the idea for using the song Did You Ever See a Dream Walking, which is a significant plot element in the movie, from hearing it in the Eddie Cantor movie Roman Scandals. Actually, this song does not appear in the Cantor film. It was written for the musical uh, Sitting Pretty, but both Roman Scandals and Sitting Pretty were released in the same year. So it's just him getting the mo- movies confused. But still, it, it's uh, that song serves its purpose, I think. Uh, he was in the process of writing the film out in prose prior to convert it to a screenplay when he f- heard the song. So he wrote this whole movie out like as it was a novel and then converted it to a screenplay, which I find very interesting. Yeah. Uh, first starring role in motion picture for Lucas Haas, also the first time he received top billing. Uh, Emily Tracy, who plays Frankie's mother, is Lucas Haas' mother in real life. Um, filmed around the end of 1986, but not released until 88. Karen Powell, aka the Lady in White, was once sitting in a train in Manhattan next to a couple of teenage girls. One was describing the movie Lady in White to her friend and was very much into the movie. When Karen noticed this, she waited until the right time in the story and said, "Excuse me, I am the Lady in White." At the nearly breathless girl, uh, and the nearly breathless girl screamed and cried, "Oh my God, you are!" So, like, she scared the shit out of this little girl whenever she heard her talking about the movie because she didn't realize that the actual Lady in White was right beside her. Oh my God! That pretty funny. Um, what's your alls ratings on this? Um, uh, I enjoy it. I'm giving it 4.25. I think it's a classic, but, uh, Urana go to you. You're the one that hated it, so.
0: <laughs> um, well, it originally was going to be a one for me. I had even considered giving it a half. Uh, and I changed it earlier today because I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, the story was good. Uh, the actors were pretty decent in this film. Uh, obviously, the visuals did not bother me. I did not like the music, though. So it's going to be right in the middle for me. It's not going to be horrible, but it's not going to be great. It's going to be two and a half corpses out of five for me.
1: That's that's acceptable, considering. Yeah. What do you think,
2: Noah? Uh, see, I'm a sucker for movies that have diminished electronics in it because it, it it creates that 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 tangible thing. Like you don't quite have all the information. That's why, like when they couldn't find the kid and stuff like that, things like that, I love in the story. When they, when they, when anytime you take a old, a newer movie, you make it a throwback type of feel, it works good. And when you watch old throwback movies that executed it good at the time, it gets even better, because it it's a it's a story that's done in the time frame, so they're really working around the the lack of electronics, Mm -hmm. and that's what told me I like it. I like the I like stories like that. That's the reason that Stranger Things and movies like that do really good. Okay, it's that sense of adventure.
0: What's your rating?
1: Uh, about four and a half.
0: Okay, so he really enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: um, y'all have anything else to say about it before we move on to the the final film?
0: Uh, no. I mean, I I think that pretty much covers it. This this is not a horror film. I will say that.
1: I agree with, the, we always hear that from the directors. This is not a horror film. This is a dramatic threat, whatever. Uh, they're wrong in most cases, but this movie i agree with. I, I feel like it, it's got horror elements, but it's a fantasy movie, if, yeah. if, if nothing else.